the mission field, whenever that kind of term comes into your mind based on your current understanding, what do you think of? What do you think of? This is your part. Yeah. School. School. Why do you think of school? Because there's a lot of lost kids. There is. Yes, there's a hodgepodge of lost kids at school. Yes, what else we got? The church front doors. The church front doors. Okay, it took, took, took a few seconds. Yes, yes. And Carson, why do you think about that? Because it says you are now entering the mission field. Correct. When you leave church, you're now entering into the mission field. Yes, very good. What else? Yeah. Kind of going off of that, I said, like, I think of the mission field, you're working in your testimony speech and trying to be a witness, but the body of Christ is your refuge. That's where you come to get edified. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. What else? Emily? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this might be off the rocks, but I always think about that message that, like, Rick Osborne came and preached, like, a couple years ago about, like, the tractor with the pin and how, like, the church is the pin, and, like, that doesn't just apply to missions. Like, you know, if... Like in your individual walk, you have to have that pin to like keep the plow yeah. to actually be able to do that work. So I would think that. Yeah, good. That was a good message. Yeah. Like stepping out of your comfort zone and being the light in this dark world. Mm hmm. Yep, absolutely. Good. Gracie. Rose is telling me not to say it. Don't say it. Say it. <laughs> I thought it's solid. Like our, like, darkness. <laughs> what Rose just doesn't like our, our names, doesn't like our philosophy of ministry. Just pray for Rose in general because <laughs> All right. Rose, yeah, yeah. All right, good. it's like pretty much where God puts you in your everyday life where you can minister to people, whether it's lost people or saved people. Okay, good. Yeah, like kind of like how in Matthew 9 it talks about like the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that, how you like put in your specific mission field. Okay. And like those people are for you to reach and not. Yeah. Okay. Good. What else? Any other outsiders? Yes. Hobbies or sports, yes, because in those hobbies and sports, there are no, lost like kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, right? Right? Or how else? What, what else were you thinking about it? No, like your team. Yeah. Because you're with them all the time. You get to hang out, share your life with each other. Good. I'm going to say work. Like, for me, it's pretty easy because, like, mm -hmm. if I go to someone's house and they're there, if we usually start talking, I can one way or another bring it back to church. And yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I wrote like like-minded people, like finding people within your mission field, like within your school that mm -hmm. like, can help hold you accountable to all these things. Yes, because it's much better to work in the field if you got people with you. Yes. What others? Yeah. I always think about how like if you're planning something in a field, you expect something to come back. Yeah. And like I know the Bible says, you know, that the word doesn't return void, but I lose that perspective and I'll like you know, share with all these people and I don't expect anything to come of it. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're planting something, you expect, okay, some of these seeds are, like, going to come up and I, I lose that and then I don't follow up with those people. Yes. And I think on the flip side, because this is where I'm going to go eventually, uh, probably hit it more next week than this week, is that there will be times where you're working in your field and you're doing stuff and you're seeing no results and then you get frustrated and then you're like, well, what's the point? And so then you just want to quit. Or there's something else that makes you want to quit working in the field, and you just, it's, whether it's personal, just mistakes that you've made, where you feel like I'm not even being faithful to God in these little things. I'm not going to be faithful in this field, or I feel like a hypocrite if I'm going to say something, or I've been working and I see no results. So what's the point of even doing anything? 
And so I want to talk about that it's more, probably more specifically next week. We'll see how far we get today. All right, good. So in general, I, I expected a lot of that because I, I, we talk about this a lot. I mean, our church is all about discipleship. We want to reach the world. We really believe we can reach the world. And we have, we have taught you guys and trained you guys from, you know, the children's ministry all the way up, junior high, senior high, our camps, our lessons, everything that we do is about the field. And so you can't spend, you shouldn't spend 5, 10, 15 minutes inside a ministry in this church and not get some sort of a conviction in your heart about the field because that is our mission. It's the purpose of our church. Um, it's not just to have a good time and to build friendships and relationships. We have a job to accomplish and we have a field that God has given us that we have to be out there and be faithful because one day uh, we're going to be able to see our Savior face to face and He is going to bring to account all the things that in our life that were pertaining to the field. I mean, even yesterday, I was talking with Lucas, and Lucas was asking me questions about, um, he's like, so, you know, Jesus Christ and the end of the world, it's going to be like a thousand years, isn't it? And so then we started talking, and then I got into the topic of the judgment seat of Christ, and, and I realized that I've never talked to him about this before. And so I said, this is a great motivator for me. I said, because everything you do in your life is going to come to that point. Everything after you're born again is not a judgment of sin, because that judgment of sin happened on the cross, but as far as your life and the things that you did in your Christian Christian life to serve the Lord, all of your motives and everything are going to be put to the test. And so then you're going to have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble that are going to make up five crowns. And so I started working him through it. And I said, I've never talked to you about this before, have I? And he's like, no, you haven't. And I said, well, this is a huge deal for me because I know when I see the Lord and it's my day of judgment, I am going to have to give an account for my decisions, my actions, my life, my motives on everything in my Christian walk. And I want to please the Lord. I want to have something that I can offer back to Him in gratitude for what He's done for me in purchasing my redemption. And, uh, and so it was a great conversation with him yesterday about that. But I've been thinking about the field. And I've been thinking a lot about the field just in terms of you guys starting school. I've been thinking about throughout our summer, we've been talking about the battle and how sometimes in our Christian walk, it really seems like a battle. And 2 Timothy 2 talks about that we're supposed to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. But go ahead and turn over to 2 Timothy 2 real quick. In 2 Timothy 2, it also talks about that it's a lot like a field and a farmer. And of course, we've hit this several times, so you should know this. If you, if you don't, then... Um, this is something that you need to get really solidly registered in your heart and mind. So Paul's last words to Timothy, and in chapter 2, this is our theme verse for discipleship, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So the things that have been invested in us spiritually, we are responsible to invest those things into future generations. And that's why we're here today is because faithful men, they invested, they committed those things that they learned to other faithful men who shall be able to teach others also and so on and so on and so on and so on all the way up to us today. And then he gives three illustrations. Verse three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. So there's the battle. And that's why it was our theme for camp uh, this summer. And as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So there's one example. The second one is verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. So that is with uh, being an athlete. 
if you expect to be a master at an athlete or even at a subject, but specifically being crowned, talking about athletics here, you cannot be crowned unless you strive lawfully. You can't cheat. You can't do, you, you have to obey the rules, and that's the way it lays out here. And then the third example is verse 6. The husbandman, or the farmer, but I love the term husbandman, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So here, a Christian life is likened into three different things. A soldier, an athlete, and a husbandman or a farmer. And this is why Jesus often referred to the work while he was on the planet as the field. And so the first thing that we have to do, is, if we're really going to understand this and be faithful in this area of our life, we have to really understand what the field is. We have to understand what it is. So defining the field. All right. So there's really two perspectives on this. And it's really interesting. I've never thought about it from this angle before. So this is kind of new for me. But this was helpful for me because I like to see things from a different perspective. Um, for me, it can be the same information, but if I look at it from a slightly different perspective, I learn more, and there's more that God teaches me about that. And that's what I love about the Bible. So, the field. So the first thing is, the field is the world. The world. And secondly, it is individual hearts. So when the Bible talks about the field, as I've been kind of kicking this around a little bit, these are the two things that the Bible talks about, the world and individual hearts. So let's take a look at the world first. Go over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Okay, quick review. The kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. Someone hit me up. Yeah. So the kingdom of heaven is like a literal physical kingdom in heaven. But the kingdom of God are uh, it's spiritual, it's like all of the believers. Yes, it's the in invisible internal kingdom where God wants to sit on the throne of each person's heart. Very important distinction, very important to understand. Now, the book of Matthew, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. No other book in your Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, it talks about that because the nation of Israel, through the nation of Israel, God is going to establish his kingdom of heaven throughout the entire universe one day in the future. Through the thousand-year reign, and then even after the final judgment, he's going to use the planet Earth as the launching pad to spread his kingdom throughout the entire universe. And that is the kingdom of heaven. It's a very simple term. Whenever you think about kingdom of heaven and it being on the Earth, it's very simply put that the Earth is the capital of God's kingdom that spans throughout the entire heaven. So it's an easy way to think about it. The kingdom of heaven. And the earth is that capital of his entire kingdom. So this is the literal physical kingdom. This is what God wanted to establish from the very, very beginning. And of course, after Israel in Matthew chapter 12 rejects Jesus' offer to establish the kingdom of heaven, now he changes his tune a little bit, and now he can no longer establish the physical kingdom because they don't want him as the physical king. They want the benefits of God without actually having God ruling among them. Now he begins the process of restoring the kingdom of God. And so when you read Mark, Luke, and John, it talks all about the kingdom of God, of him establishing that internal invisible kingdom where he sits on the throne of your heart. And so that's what we're in the business of doing today. So there's a lot of churches that are in the business that they want to change the world. Well, what does that mean? They do a lot of humanitarian works. I'm not saying that's bad. But when churches focus on improving people's material lives and they fall short, 
in improving their spiritual lives, that's where they get completely off base. If we're going to do things physically, fine, we'll do things physically, and we'll do it with, with uh, you know, giving money or, or giving uh, aid or going and doing projects or going and digging wells, and we'll do all that stuff, but we better be giving the gospel and having people get saved in the midst of that ministry, or else what are we doing? And there's a lot of churches that are way off with this kind of stuff. God has told us to build a kingdom, but which kingdom? When you study out the Bible, God is not going to establish and spread His physical kingdom until He returns again at the second coming. And there's too many churches that are trying to even get out there. This is why it's so, you have to be so careful with all the crap that's going on right now, uh, that's been going on for the last two years, between all the Black Lives Matter stuff, all the race stuff, all the health stuff that's going on in our world today. You have to remember that this is not our home. And so we can't change our home. The God of this world rules this place. No matter how much you love America or are proud to be an American or not proud to be an American, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You are a citizen of heaven first and God is your Lord first and then you can live out your life. Now, while we're living here, I'm thankful to live in the United States. I am. There are things that we have and we have access to. I can raise my family physically in a place where there's not much threat yet. And I'm very thankful for that. But that's not what I'm living for. And so we have to be careful because we can find ourselves fighting the wrong battles. That's just a side note. But in Matthew 13, he gives a parable. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And look what he says in verse 38. 38. So he gives the, the parable of the soils, where you have the four soils and, and, the, and uh, the seeds spread on all four soils. And then he gives a parable of the tares and the wheat. And then in verse 38, he's explaining the parable because his disciples want to know more details. And look what he says in verse 38. The field is the world. The field is the world. So from the kingdom of heaven perspective, the field is the world. So when God looks at the world, it is his field. And one day he will take it back over and he will rule and reign on that field. And he will be very fruitful and he will multiply and his kingdom will expand throughout the entire universe. So it's very important that we understand that side of it. Go over to Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, verse 15. And someone read that for me. 16, 15. Go ahead, Carson. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So they're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so again, we see here that the focus is the world. The field is a type of uh, the world for sure when it comes to the scriptures. But specifically, doctrinally speaking, when you see the field, it is the world, especially in Matthew 13 uh, and throughout the book of Matthew, because God's going to establish his kingdom uh, literally on the earth. So that's the first one. Now go over to John chapter 4. And we've talked about this one before. I think it's worth repeating again. This has been one of those landmark chapters for me in my walk after teaching it at that one discipleship class um, a couple years ago that has just really helped me. It helped me more than what I, what I really realized at the time. So in John 4, and uh, you got the woman at the well, 
And you have this circumstance that unfolds with the woman at the well where Jesus stands by the well. The disciples leave and they go and they get food because they're like, hey, our master needs to eat, so let's go and get food. Well, the only nearby town was a Samaritan town. Now, Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. They were half-breeds, and so the Jewish people wanted really nothing to do with Samaritans. They were not welcome to go to Jerusalem and worship Jehovah God. They had to worship God from a mountain that they would go to as a people. And so they were not welcome there at all. And so while the disciples are in the town, this woman comes out at a strange hour of the day and has a conversation with Jesus. And this is where he begins to tell her that he is the Messiah. And so look at verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went way, her way into the city, and, see, and saith to the men, Come and see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. All right, very important. So get the scene. And again, you probably know this, and we've talked about it before, but it's worth repeating. So Jesus talked with this woman, reveals that he is the Messiah. This lady drops her water pot. The very thing she came out to do, it doesn't matter anymore. I found the Messiah. She leaves it, she goes back into the town, and she starts talking to the people that she's closest to, saying, I have found the Messiah. I found the one that we've been waiting for. The disciples see this exchange, and they're like, why in the world is he talking to this woman? But they didn't want to talk to Jesus about that because they probably get ripped in half. So they're like, why is he talking to her? I have no idea. And so then she tells these people, hey, I found the Messiah. Then people start coming out of the city because they want to meet him. So they all start coming out of the city and they're going to meet him. And then take a look at verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are four months, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. There it is, there's the field. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. When they literally lifted up their eyes, what would they see? I heard somebody say it. The people. People coming out of the city. This woman just went back to the city and said, I have found the Messiah. They are coming out of the city. And he says, hey, my meat, I could care less about eating physically. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And look, the harvest. Lift up your eyes and look. The fields are already white unto harvest. This is the reason why I've come. This is, this is God's will, and I'm going to fulfill God's will, and I'm going to do this thing. And so now you have all these people that are coming out. Now, the reality of this, whenever I, it hit me whenever I was going through this a couple years ago, is that the disciples were just in that city. They were just in that city getting food. How come they did not see the city the way that Jesus did? I mean, they were with the Messiah for, at this point, I mean, at least a year, year and a half. They would have known who he was, that they were supposed to minister on his behalf. They were getting food, and while in the midst of the city exchanging with a whole bunch of heathen lost people, they didn't even think about inviting these people to come out 
and to talk with the Messiah. Why not? Why? Anybody? They were distracted, for sure. And it threw off their... Anybody? Their mindset, their focus, their perspective. They were so used to living in this world from day to day that they started passing by people and they stopped caring about their eternal destiny. And they didn't realize that God in human flesh, God in human flesh is outside the city at the well. These people are lost. And yeah, they're half-breeds, but they still believe in Jehovah. We are His representatives. We're His disciples. We're in the city. And we just, we just let Him go. Like... This happens a lot in our Christian life. And this is why we need to get in the Bible. This is why we need to be in church. This is why you need to be discipled. This is why you need, you need messages like this to just jog your thinking again. Because they should have been inviting people out. They should have, they should have walked into the city. And like, all right, what should we eat? I don't know. Let's just get I don't know, ravioli. I don't know. Whatever. They didn't have, I'm sure Samaritans made ravioli. All right. But it had to be kosher. So they were trying to find the right place to go, right? And they're like, no, no, I've eaten there before. It's terrible over there. And one of them could have said, man, look at all these people. I mean, look at all these people. If they were to die today, would they be in heaven with the Lord? We've got to tell them. All it took was one, just one. And out of the 12, which one spoke up and had a heart for the field? Not one. Not one. Not even John, who's the closest disciple. So this was a huge life lesson for them. Because they're all focused on stuff here. And he's like, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. This lady got it. And these disciples who'd spent day in and day out with Jesus did not get it. And so... This is where, at this point, individual hearts, the kingdom of God, this is the part that I want us to understand and I want us to think about. All right, so this is why I put this paragraph on your guys' study sheet. God has always been at work from the very beginning in the field of the world and the fields of individual hearts. Because if you notice in John 4, like what it says in verse 35, you're still there, right? Say not ye there yet four months, and then come to the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Plural, fields. For they are white already to harvest. He's talking about the hearts of those individual people. That's what he's talking about. So he's been working in the field of the world and the fields of individual hearts for his people to be fruitful and multiply. He will establish his kingdom physically and spiritually for his honor and glory. When we speak of the field our field or your mission field we are talking about being fruitful in the kingdom of God as a good steward and specifically and here's the focus working in the fields of the collective hearts that we come in contact with daily as we progress from season to season in life that's what we're talking about and this helps me in my mind because I started thinking about okay we call okay my school is my mission field Yes, your school is your mission field. Absolutely. Or even with our missionaries, England is their mission field for the Clarks. Or the Stewards, it is Ireland. Or for the Browns, it's Mexico. Or for, or for any, anything else. Yes, that, that country is the field. Okay, for sure. But the reason why it is the field is because of the collective hearts of the people that live there. That's it. So when you say work is my mission field, it's the collective hearts of the individuals that you work with, that you come in contact with each and every day. Just like the disciples went into that town to get food and they didn't see it. And the woman went in and said, hey, 
come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. I think we found the Messiah. And they all came out. That's what we're talking about. It's the collective hearts of the individuals that you are surrounded with on your team, in your classes, in your school, in your, in your band, on, on whatever, your family. It could be a, a particular area that you live. It could be your neighborhood. It could be your bus. I mean, it could, it could be anything, anything like that. That's what we're talking about. And so when it comes to this issue, I want you to understand that because it's going to help you as we come a little bit farther along into our responsibility and what we're supposed to do, okay? Because a lot of times I think we get discouraged because we don't have a proper understanding of the field. All right, so that's what we're talking about. All right, so let's talk about the laborers. So we talked about it individually, the definition. Now let's talk about the laborers, the laborers. All right, so we got the field. We have a good understanding of the field. Now let's talk about the laborers. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, so God has always been working. And so the first set of laborers we see there is God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost. Uh, from Genesis chapter 1, in verse 2, the Holy Ghost has always been moving. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. From the very beginning, from Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God has been moving, and He has never stopped. And He has been moving throughout the entire Scriptures, because God wants to build His kingdom, physically and spiritually. And to this day, He's still moving. It's very important for you to understand that, because in each of your fields... The individual hearts of people, he is always moving over them. Always. He's always trying to disturb the waters a little bit, to stir them up, to get them to hear spiritual truths. And that's where you step into the, into the game. Your involvement in that process is critical. So he's always been moving. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 3 and verse, uh, let's see here, verse 6. All right, so he's, Paul's explaining this about him and Apollos. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then verse 9, look at this one. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Again, two great illustrations of what God's trying to accomplish here. But it says very specifically in verse 9, we are laborers together with God. Okay? So God is a laborer. He has a mission he wants to accomplish. Just like Jesus in John chapter 4, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Same thing. God has created this whole dynamic where God has a mission, but he wants to involve everyone in the process. So he has been laboring. Um, I'll just keep it at that. So that's the first one. I was going to go to Matthew 9, but we, you can look at that one later. All right. So 1 Corinthians 3, hold your spot here because we're going to come back to this one in a minute. Um, but go over to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. So God is the laborer. And let me give you an example of what God wants and how, at this point in history, Israel failed. Now, they're not going to fail in the future, but they failed in the past when it came to His first coming. But this is an example of what He's trying to accomplish here. All right, so Luke chapter 20. And uh, let's start off in verse 
9. Okay. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. Now, specifically, he's talking about what happened in the past, all right? So he's talking about the field that he's been working in, the kingdom of heaven, and he says, okay, guys, I'm going to give you this field, I'm going to establish it, and then you guys are going to work in this field. And he's given it to the nation of Israel. All right, verse 10. And at, that, and at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard, but the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then the Lord of the vineyard, then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. See, this is what God wanted. When you think back over the nation of Israel, you could probably, I've not thought about this until this moment, but when it says in verse 10 that he sent a servant, in verse 11 he sent another servant, and in verse 12 he sent a third, you could probably go back and put names of those three. Probably. In the Old Testament. That God sent a certain person at a certain time to receive the fruits of what God was trying to build. And maybe one of them was David. You know, there's probably other ones. So you have these guys, and here they shamefully treated them, and they sent them away, and there was nothing to offer. And then verse 13, of course, 13, rebellious 13. He says, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my beloved son. And so this is when God the Father sent Jesus his son to the planet. And now when he's working among them, God's thinking, hey, they should reverence my son. They should reverence him. Out of all the people that I would send, they should reverence him. Now look at verse 14. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now this is before Jesus died, by the way, but this is exactly what they were going to do. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was talking about. God forbid that we fail as your people and that you would set Israel aside and turn unto the Gentiles to go and work out in the field. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Verse 17, And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders, Israel, especially the leaders among the nation of Israel, rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So this is huge. This is a huge parable that he gives out to them that, that frankly turns them into, it's, it's a judgment of their, of their faithfulness, or lack thereof, I should say. So this is what God does. This is the pattern that he follows. God starts a work. He establishes it. He wants to work in that field, but he involves other people. And he does this for a specific reason. God could do all of it himself, but he wants you to be involved. Your involvement in the work brings him more honor and glory. It does. He wants you to participate in the amazing mission that he's given us. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here. I know there's been a few that have led someone else to the Lord. How stinking amazing is it to lead someone to the Lord and to see them get saved? It is one of the most amazing things that I've ever experienced in my life. Ever. Just as equal, it is amazing that when God uses you to turn someone unto repentance, to come out of sin and to start walking with Him. It is incredible 
It is so amazing to work with people over a period of years and to see them be faithful and fruitful in winning other people to the Lord and turning other people to repentance so that way they can be fruitful to the Lord as well. It is incredible. There is nothing, nothing. I don't don't care what it is. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. Nothing. And if you have not experienced that, it's because either you don't know how and you need trained or you've just been unfaithful and you need to start opening up your mouth and being more involved in the work. But I'm telling you, this is what you were made for. This is what God has you here for. And when you get involved in it, it is stinking amazing. I remember the first time that I got a taste of this. I was 11 years old and uh, I was with a team of people up in Anzac, Alberta, Canada. We were on an Indian reservation. And I was with a team of high school and college students and they were putting on a VBS for these kids. And I was there among the kids, but I also ministered a little bit. And I saw these kids coming to Christ and I saw their lives being changed. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I'm a part of this as an 11 year old. And so I came home and I'm like, dad, I want to get baptized. I need to get baptized. I knew I was saved, but I'm like, I want to get baptized because I want to be faithful and I want to do what God has called me to do. And that began the process in my life of wanting to be involved in ministry. So when I got into high school, it was only a matter of time before ministry things always took more of a priority than sports and music and stuff because I loved it. I loved it. There's nothing like it. And so I, I, if I had opportunities like with music when I was in high school, I made sure that I was trying to do things that I could have conversations with people in order to bring them to understanding about Jesus, about the gospel. I was trying to do whatever I could to do it. Didn't do the best job. I have regrets for sure. But my life changed at that point. And I saw things from a different perspective. And then once I got into high school and I became a a VBS teacher and I started teaching little kids and they started coming to Christ. And then I saw them year after year get involved in the youth ministry and and then even coming here and doing that here and being involved in, in the junior high ministry and then the senior high ministry. And I mean, there is nothing greater than to be used by God to change people's lives. And you can try to come up with something, but it won't satisfy. I mean, it won't. Nothing in this world will satisfy. And the reason why is because you weren't made for those other things. You were made for this. This. You were made for this. And so when I think about this, and I think about this field, the nation of Israel exchanged whatever they wanted for what God had for them. And God's like, fine, then I'm going to move on and go on to somebody else. Now, just as a devotional application before jumping back into this last point for the laborers. Don't let God pass over you. Don't. In this parable, is this you? Has God come into your life at several points in time expecting fruit and there's nothing there? In fact, in return, you just ridicule him and mock him and blaspheme him with your life. Because eventually God's going to come to a point and he says, okay, fine. I'm done with you. I need to move on to somebody else who's going to be faithful. Because there's only so much more time left. So you need to think about that. You need to think about that. Seriously. Because God wants you to be involved, but your involvement is always your choice. Always. It's always your choice. God expects some something, some sort of activity, some sort of fruit. So when he comes, will he have anything? Is there anything that you can give him? You should be able to do that. And if you do that consistently over time, then he'll be able to entrust you with more. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 3. Go back there real quick. You should have held your spot there. If you didn't, shame on you. (laughs) 
So we have God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost. Israel was another laborer that was supposed to be, and they will be again, and they will be faithful during the tribulation period. And then you have, lastly, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the sons of God. That's us. That's us. Those of us that are born again. And here, specifically, he's calling Apollos and himself laborers that Apollos planted. Or, no, he planted. It says in verse 6, I have planted. Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. See, this is how it's supposed to work. Someone plants someone else water. Sometimes you plant and water. Sometimes someone else plants and you water. I mean, there's all sorts of variations of this. But either way, you've got to plant and you've got to water. Planting and watering. Planting, giving the gospel. Getting the seed of the word of God out there. Getting the truth of God out there. Watering it, you're encouraging it. You're tilling it. You're, I mean, if you spend any time in a garden at all, you have to spend time out there. This summer's been so busy for us, we've spent no time in the garden. And it looks atrocious. Because you give it just a little bit of time away from itself and with no, no attention to it at all, and what pops up? Weeds, and some of them are massive, like massive. You know, it had been maybe only four weeks. And I mean, weeds in there are unbelievable. I was trying to go through them yesterday. I'm like, this is ridiculous. We look like stinking hillbillies. <laughs> but we've been so involved with ministry stuff that we just have not had any time. But I'm like, what a great illustration. You don't look at the field. You don't tend to it after a period of time. What comes up automatically? Weeds. And what kind of fruit does weeds actually give you? Nada, just more weeds. That's all it does. Weeds produce more weeds. So you got to get in there and you got to tear it out. You got to cut it down. You got to get into that soil. You got to make sure that it's taken care of. You have to, or else you're not going to have any fruit. So uh, planting is, is like a, you can do that at one point in time. You can do it several times, but watering, encouraging, talking to people. So maybe you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. But then from there, after sharing the gospel, then you start watering. And you're saying, hey, would you come to church? Or hey, how you doing? I've been praying for you. Or I mean, all sorts of stuff where you're just trying to encourage them spiritually. So that way something can actually grow. That's how God wants it to be. And so here he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And again, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. This is how God has always intended it. Let's look at one more passage and then we'll wrap it up and we'll do number three and four next week. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. That's the wrong one. I was looking at a different one. I was thinking it was 2 Timothy 2. That's not the one I wanted. Uh, 1 Timothy 2. That's what I wanted. 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy 2 in verse 4. So you can write this one down next to that check mark if you want to. 1 Timothy 2 in verse 4. It says, Who will have all men to be saved, evangelism, and to come into the knowledge of the truth, discipleship. This is what God wants. And we are laborers in these two things. It is God's will for everyone to get saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to get saved and He wants everyone to grow in their faith and in their walk with God. That's what He wants. So as far as laborers are concerned, God has always been moving. The Spirit of God is always moving on people's hearts. Always. Always. Even when it may not look like it, always. 
He's moving. And he's looking for people that are going to be receptive to receive the truth of God. All right? And he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is part of your responsibility. Our responsibility is to get the truth out there to people that want to hear it. So next week we're going to talk about more about our responsibility and how to live it out and how to deal with some of these frustrations. But here's what I want you guys to do this week. Think about this. When you guys wake up in the morning and you don't want to get out of bed and you don't want to go to school, think about the individual hearts you come in contact with each day. My perspective began to change when I started walking down the hall of my school and I started thinking about each and every person that I was passing. I mean, literally. When you pass the people that you pass at school and you look into their eyes, ask yourself, are they going to hell? Do they know the Lord? How are they doing? Is there anything that's going on in their life? And their, I mean, start thinking about people from that perspective. If you could put a label on the forehead of every single person of their eternal destination of heaven or hell and you walk down the school, how many would you see of what? And start thinking about people from those terms. I'm telling you, if you start thinking about people from that perspective, it will give you a lot more compassion. And you'll start seeing things you've never seen before. Because a lot of times we're just super irritated by people. We're just frustrated because they're jerks, or they treat us poorly, or whatever. Or we have nothing in common with them, and they value different things. Okay, yeah, whatever. Get past that. Who gives a rip? I'm talking about the eternal destination. Where are they going to go? Because if you know the Lord, you can actually do something about it. And maybe you need to plant a seed, and maybe you need to water, or maybe you need to water a little bit in order to break up the ground so that way the seed can get in. We'll talk more about that next week. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray these things would uh, just sink down deep into our heart, uh, that we would let them change our perspective and in turn be more faithful in the fields that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.